This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Money doesn't have morals. It's amoral. But when you put it in the hands of a person, you decide whether it's good or whether it's bad. And the more control you can have over it, the more you're doing a budget, you're saving, you have no debts, and you work your way out. I mean, you you really live within your means. The stress that lowers from that and the freedom that comes from that is unbelievable. Welcome to The Real Real, where I take you behind the Instagram reel and into the real lives of entrepreneurs, content creators, and anyone who inspires me and may inspire you too. I'm your host, Natalie Barbu, and let's get into it. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Real Real Podcast with me, Natalie Barbu. In today's episode, I am interviewing Rachel Cruz, and if you don't know who Rachel Cruz is, she is a number one New York Times bestselling author and seasoned communicator. She helps Americans learn the proper ways to handle money and to stay out of debt, which is something I think we all uh, need a little refreshing on. You know, we need a little lesson on that. (laughs) I know at least I do with how to save, how to handle money. I always love hearing about these topics. And she has authored three best-selling books, including Love Your Life, Not Theirs, Contentment Journal, and Smart Money, Smart Kids. She's the daughter of Dave Ramsey, and I'm sure you guys know who Dave Ramsey is. And she uses the knowledge and experiences from growing up in the Ramsey household to educate others. She also is the host of The Rachel Cruz Show, and she's just an overall boss and complete financial guru, I want to say. And I say that because she is just so wise with how to handle money. And we talk a lot about that in today's episode. We talk a lot about why it's so important to budget, how to start your budget, how to begin saving, how much money you should be saving, whether you're making a little or you're making a lot. So I'm just really excited to have her on. I loved this episode. I thought it was really, really helpful. And she just makes understanding money so much easier. Like she really, really breaks it down. And if you guys didn't know, she actually does have a new book and it's called Know Yourself, Know Your Money. I highly recommend this book. I've read it and I think it is really, really a great breakdown on really how to understand like your relationship with money. You can get clarity and control over your money faster by learning more about yourself, which is what this book is. You discover why you handle money the way you do and what to do about it. So I highly recommend and I will definitely have it in the podcast show notes for you guys to check out. So anyways, thank you so much for listening and for supporting me always. And let's get into the episode with Rachel. I'm so excited to have you on. When I got the email that you wanted to be on the podcast, I was so excited. And I feel like money is just one of those topics that a lot of people my age especially want to talk about, but we don't know how to talk about it. So I'm very excited to have you on. Good. Well, it's a fun subject to dive into. It can be a hard one money can be intimidating. It can almost have some shame and guilt around it from past money mistakes and all of that. But getting people on the right plan on a guided path to win with money long term is is my goal. Totally. And so we always start the podcast with setting the record straight. So this is stereotypes and assumptions, and you'll let me know if they're true or false. So the first one is everyone should have a budget. True. Yes. Yeah. No matter if you're making $10 or $10 million, being intentional with your money is so important. It's one of the biggest money mistakes people make. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm, I started having a budget, I would say about a year or two ago, and it has changed my perspective on money so much. And it's honestly changed my relationship with money a lot. You know, it's, it's made me 
understand the value of a dollar, let's just say. Yeah. And I used to, I'm a free spirit and I'm a spender naturally. So the idea of a budget was so hard for me at first, because I feel like it meant you had to say no to everything. You couldn't have fun. But in fact, it's all the flip side. Like it, it's permission to spend. That's what I see my budget as. I'm like, I can go shopping. I can go on Amazon. I can do the things I need to do. There's a limit and a boundary, but that budget gives me the permission. So I'm not having to question every little thing. So actually in turn, it gives you so much more freedom than being a burden. Yeah, that's actually a really good way to look at it. Because I feel like people get intimidated by that. They think like, oh no, I'm, I'm going to definitely overspend and I don't want to see it. But it's like, it actually makes you so much more aware and just makes you make better choices, I think, in the long run. Yeah, and you're not going to win in any area of your life, whether that's your relationships, whether that's your job or your money, anything, if you're not intentional with it. Like you actually have to be purposeful and be do things on purpose versus everything just happening to you. And the earlier you can get this, oh, the better off you're going to be. And the fact that your listeners are more on the younger side of like, you know, they just graduated post-grad and all that. I'm like in your 20s and even in your 30s, if you can understand how to budget and make it a habit in your life, it is a game changer for you financially. Oh, 100% completely. And the next one is an emergency fund is necessary. True again. Yes. An emergency fund is necessary. So I would start out with a thousand dollars, it being your first starter emergency fund, and then go pay off all of your debt, except if you've bought a house and the mortgage does not count in this, but any consumer debt. So student loans, car loans, credit cards, go ahead and pay everything off smallest amount to largest amount. And then after that, you can bump up that emergency fund to three to six months worth of expenses. So you can put that in a traditional savings account. You can open up a money market account, which is another simple type of account. You can do it at a local bank or credit union. But having your money there to be able to get to quickly is really important. 40% of Americans couldn't cover a $400 emergency in cash. Yeah, I've, I've heard that. That's like a very scary statistic. And it's very sad, I think, how it's so hard for people to save. So I'm excited to kind of dive into how to save and how like your best practices for it. Because again, like I said, it's just so intimidating for a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. And it's, and it's the habit. It's the quick wins. But yeah, we can dig into that for sure. Right. And the next one is talking about money shouldn't be so taboo. True again. And talking about money doesn't mean you walk around and tell everyone how much you make. You know, I mean, it's not that kind of thing. But to have those people in your life that can walk with you through anything in life, again, any subject this can apply to, but specifically your money, but to be able to be open and honest. And if you are struggling in an area or if you are stressed out by debt, or if you're like, I just don't know what to do, you know, with investing or anything that you just have those people in your life who are wise and who can walk with you, especially if you're single, if you get married, your spouse will be that person that you guys are on the same page. Mm -hmm. You're talking about it, but keeping everything in, especially if you're single can be really dangerous. So having that person you can talk to is key. Yeah, that's actually really true because I feel like if I didn't have people in my life that I went to to ask questions like that, I feel like I would be so lost because I know whenever you look up information about money, there's a million articles that come up and it's, it can get really confusing. So I feel like it's good to have people to just talk to for one-off questions, you know, or to really kind of understand the relationship as a whole with money. So I think that's actually really good to find someone, whether it be your parents, whether it be a sibling, a friend, a mentor, whoever that might be. I think that's a really important thing. Exactly, exactly. And now I want to talk about what you wanted to be when you grew up because or what you wanted to do when you grew up because you are Dave Ramsey's daughter who is very, very prominent in the finance world. So I'm curious, did, did you kind of know that your path would be in finance? Or did you want to kind of 
go opposite of that and do something else. I, I always love asking people the question of what they wanted to be when they were growing up. That's a great question. No, I don't think I would have said that I knew I was going to do this. I started speaking with my dad at events when I was 15. And so public speaking was something that I just kind of fell in love with. I loved it. I was nervous at first for sure, but I enjoyed it, which is kind of weird because most people hate public speaking, but I enjoyed that part. And then when I went to college is when I realized the need for this message. I mean, I was having my own friends, people I was meeting that were going right into credit card debt. They had student loans, you know, already. I mean, all this stuff. And I thought, man, if they only knew that there was a different way, like if they only knew they could do different things right now, it could set them up to win in the future. And so when I graduated from college is when I said, okay, this is really what I want to do. I'm going to travel. At first, just speaking. I was like, I just want to speak. I just want to go to college campuses, high schools. I don't care who I'm talking to, but just get this message in front of people. And then that was 11 years ago. So now it's grown into podcasts and books and all the things. So yeah, it's pretty wild. But I wanted to live in New York. Manhattan was like my dream for a really long time. Even through college, I was like, I'm just Mm going to live in New York. And I remember seeing How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days when I was like in high school or something when it came out. Uh, And I thought, oh, I want to do that. I was like, I want to work at like an ad agency or a marketing firm in Manhattan, you know, all that. And then that's when you realize, oh, yeah, but there's reality. It's not that glamorous. (laughs) And any, any job, really, right? Any job is not really that glamorous. Let's talk about styling hair because it is a whole production, especially when you are battling frizz. And take it from me, I live in Miami, Florida. It is about to be summer. I really know frizz, but honestly, I would rather be doing something else like booking a spontaneous vacation to St. Bart's or rewatching the Heirs tour for like the third time. You know, the important stuff. But who actually has time for frizz? Introducing Way's new anti-frizz cream. It is like a superhero for your hair. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours. I actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good. So how does this fit into my hair routine? It is the best thing I could have done for my hair. I am all about saving time and the anti-frizz cream does just that. Plus the Sydney inspired North Bondi scent is so amazing. You can thank bergamot, Italian lemon violet and more. And as someone who is always concerned about heat damage because I definitely use a lot of heat on my hair, this anti-frizz cream provides heat protection, which is such a big relief. And my hair feels so much lighter and looks smoother after using it. Get busy being frizz free with Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's not just about taming frizz. It also provides heat protection up to 450 degrees, reduces and repairs split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration. And according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. I can definitely contest that. And while you're at it, check out Way's other bestsellers like the leave-in conditioner, which I also use, detox shampoo, fragrances, hair oils, and hair gloss. They're all essential for achieving that salon-worthy look at home. So you can frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code RealReal for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code RealReal. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today as it should with Earnin. Earnin is an app that is changing the game when it comes to getting paid. Imagine having access to the money you've earned as you work, not just waiting for payday. With Earnin, you can access up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus 
tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So think about it. The next time you're planning a special night out, you need a last minute gift for a loved one, or you face an unexpected expense, like maybe a trip to the vet, Earnin has you covered. For me, it's about having the flexibility to handle those surprise expenses that life throws my way. So whether it's unexpected bills or needing to cover rent when things are tight, Earnin gives me peace of mind knowing that I have access to my hard-earned cash when I need it most. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type Real Real under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show, so please don't forget that step. Real Real under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. You ever um, move to New York or is that still like a dream of yours? I know I didn't know I'm up there or I was before 2020 in the pandemic. I was up there a lot for work. I do a lot of media. So I'll do a lot of the morning shows and all that. So I'll be up there. I'm up there multiple times a year, sometimes once a month at least. So I get my mm-hmm. fill, but I have three kids now and we're in Nashville and my, my husband would probably rather live in a duck blind in Arkansas. Yeah than live in Manhattan. So Nashville's a good medium for us. That's perfect then. It's the best of both worlds. <laughs> um, and were you always that person in college that your friends turned to with money advice? Like if they ever got into debt or if they were ever overspending, were you kind of playing or were you like that um, that voice for them to talk to, I guess? Yeah, that's a good question. Honestly, not really. I mean, I think we all, I mean, we were, you know, 18, 19, 20 at the time. And maybe, I mean, they probably asked me a couple of questions. Money was not a primary conversation, what, you know, really with my friends. Because I think even when I was there, I mean, that would have been 15 years ago, even student loans, how they are today were not like it when I was in college, you know? And so, and even, yeah, so money, I feel like the habits of money, specifically with college students, even look a little different than when I was there. And so it's just interesting to see everything kind of play out as it is. But yeah, I, I think they do. Yeah, they did come to me and ask questions, but it wasn't the primary conversation. Yeah, yeah. It's And I mean, like you said, you've been helping people now for a decade, more than a decade. So what are some common money mistakes that you see other people doing kind of in this whole decade that you've been doing it? What are the most common ones that you see? Uh, not being intentional. We touched on that with the budget, but that's a big one. I mean, for a lot of people, they just live their lives paycheck to paycheck. They never really figure out what they're spending. They just go. And then they look up, you know, in their forties or fifties, sometimes their sixties and they think, gosh, what have I done with my life? And there's so much regret. And I feel like that's what I heard a lot growing up when I would travel with my dad or were these adults, right. That have been working for years and they had so much regret. And so I thought, man, if you could just be intentional early and again, a budget, just a simple budget that you just are telling your money what to do versus mm-hmm. it controlling you is big. I think another mistake that we make, especially in America is just stuff. Like we just are under the illusion that stuff is going to make us happy. There's always bigger. There's always better. There's always faster. I mean, there's always going to be more. And we fall into this mindset. It's kind of like a rat in a wheel where we just think, okay, if I just get this, I'll be okay. Or, okay, this next purchase will make me happy. I'll, I'll be fulfilled if I get this. And I always tell people it's okay to have nice stuff. Just don't let your nice stuff have you. Yeah. So it can have you when you go into debt for it. So we can dive into debt too, if you want, 
But if you go in debt for it, your stuff owns you at that point. You don't own it. And then number two, it can have you in your identity, your contentment, your joy, your happiness, all of that is wrapped up in stuff. And, and I fall into this again. I'm a natural spender. I, I love things. I love to shop, all of it. So I can even fall into this at times, but I have to remember like that shirt is not going to solve all my problems or even that new car or even a house, like all these things that we think are, are just, oh yeah, if I could just get that, I'll be okay. I've learned over time that the finish line always moves. Once you get it, there's always gonna be a next thing and a next mm-hmm. thing and a next thing. And so you just have to be careful because you can spend a lot of money trying to be happy and stuff is not going to fulfill that. Yeah. It's like um lifestyle creep, I guess is the term for when you start making more, you start spending more. Like maybe in college, you wouldn't have bought something that was that expensive. But now that you have a job, you're like, oh, that I can afford that, which I mean, in my mind, I think it's fine to an extent. Like you said, like you can still spend money, but don't overspend. And that's why like, I love my budget because exactly what you said it gives me freedom to feel okay with what I'm spending and like I feel responsible I feel like oh well I could cut back on that next month and then that next month I'm so much more aware of my spending or like I'm cutting my subscriptions in half and all of that so I guess for people who don't have a budget right now what is your number one tip for how to even start one like what are the necessities that you need on a budget what is your like go-to rule for like starting a budget 101 great question so there's three things okay so number one, you want to do a zero-based budget. And this means it's your income for the month minus your expenses equals zero. So every dollar coming in is assigned to a category. So this, I like this because you're telling your money what to do. So I always start with giving, give a little until you can give a lot. So give something right now, just a little bit. Um, if you're in debt and all that, it doesn't have to be a lot. And then save a little bit. And then you go and pay your bills. And so all of that added up minus that income for the month should equal zero. And if you're on commission or you freelance, you kind of have to guesstimate right at the beginning of the month. Say, okay, I think this is what I'm going to make. And then you can adjust as the month goes on, but planning out the month. So the zero-based budget is number one. Number two is doing it before the month begins. So look ahead to next month and you're going to do next month's budget before it comes. And then number three is give yourself three months for its work. It's going to take 90 days on average. So the first month, it's going to be a disaster. So prepare yourself. You're going to be like, what the heck is happening? None of this is making sense. I spent, I spend what on food? You know, you're going to, it's going to, the numbers are going to be crazy. So you're going to have to adjust, try to keep it that zero base though. So if you, if you up one category, you got to lower another, you want to stay within your income. So you're not spending more than you make. And then the second month, it's going to get a little bit better. And by the third month, it should actually start working. So give yourself time, give up. I like the fact that you say give yourself time because people might feel like, oh my gosh, this first month I went way over budget and then they feel like a budget doesn't work for them. But it takes so much time. And I mean, I've been doing it for about two years now, I would say, and I still sometimes mess up. You know, it's like every month is different. Sometimes unexpected surprises come up, you know? So I think it's one of those things where you have to give yourself grace with it. You have to be okay with like, you're not going to be perfect all the time. And that's fine. And then with a budget, do you recommend having like a manual budget or a like automated budget? Or do you not have a preference with that? Yeah, I use an app called every dollar. And I love it because it connects to your bank. And so when your transactions come through, when you use your debit card, online or in a store, wherever it comes through on the app. And then you can drag and drop that transaction depending on the category. If it's a grocery store, you know, it'll come up and you just go and you drag it into groceries or your cable bill comes in there or your Amazon, you know, purchase comes in, you can figure out what you bought. 
because I have to do that all the time. Like, what did I buy from Amazon? I can't remember what, what this purchase is. And you can go and put it in the category. So I love that because it just, it helps automate everything in a sense. It's, it does all the math for you. You can see how much is left in each category. It's awesome. So whatever dollar does is it duplicates last month's budgets to the next month. But I still want you to go through and plan. So, you know, when you came out of Christmas, your January budget looks a whole lot different than December. Mm-hmm. So take stuff out. You may take out categories. You may add in categories, but do a, do a new one every month. But the fact that it kind of duplicates it to at least get your standard bills that are usually pretty consistent there, I think it's great. Yeah, that's actually nice because you still categorize it. Because Sometimes I get annoyed with the um, apps because it'll like put it in categories that like doesn't make sense. So I like that that one actually like you can go in and drag and drop. So I think that that's really smart. There's like a weird satisfaction, like when the little bubbles up and it's like you have 10 <laughs> new transactions and you get to like, see, I don't know why I'm like, why does that satisfying to me? But it is. I know. I actually like that. I'm experimenting with different apps. So I'll definitely try that one. And then also with saving how you said that everyone should save every single month, at least something. Do you have like a rule of thumb on a percentage or some amount that people should save? Because you know, everyone's financial situation is different. So I guess what's your first step of going about like how to begin saving when you're currently not right now? Yeah, well, that first goal is going to be $1,000. So whatever right. you can do to save $1,000. So that may be 5% of your budget. That could be 20% of your budget that you're, I don't care what it is, but you're, you're cutting stuff to get that $1,000 really quickly. So that's going to be your goal. And then once you get that and you start paying off debt, you may not be saving anymore in your budget. You may take every extra penny you have to throw at the debt, but that $1,000, that's your first step. And when you do a budget too, I promise you're going to feel like you got a raise. This is where all my money went. Like I have so much more money than I thought. And so look at it and say, Hey, I'm going to sacrifice a few categories or if I'm going to lower some categories in my budget in order to get this thousand dollars. Or maybe you, you take on some part-time work or some extra hours. You sell something you don't need that's in your apartment or your house, like whatever it is, that thousand dollars is your savings goal. And I would have a separate account for it because if it just stays in your checking, it easily can be eaten up totally. literally by like restaurants and stuff. So like <laughs> separate it. And if you if, if you have a hard time saving, again, have a small goal for next month. Say, okay, I'm going to try to put away X amount. Make it realistic. You need to feel a little sacrifice, feel a little pain in it. That's good for you. But once you put a little money away, you're going to start to get hope because you're going to say, wow, I can save that. Like I just saved that amount this month. Okay, next month, I'm going to do the same thing. And you really, it's like retraining your brain. You're just having to work this new muscle, create this new habit, but it is possible. And I promise the budget is going to be the best tool to help you with it. with that also some people have a very complicated relationship with money which is something you talk about a lot and some people either grew up not having money grew up with parents that were always stressed about money they grew up having a lot of money you know everyone's relationship with it is different so how do you overcome like as an adult because a lot of people that listen to this podcast we're kind of in our post-grad stage where just got out of college we're entering the quote-unquote real world so how do you overcome that like difficult relationship with money if you have one. Yes. Well, really money's communicated in two ways. It's communicated verbally. So it's open communication or closed communication and it's communicated emotionally. So it's either calm or stressed. So you can go back to your childhood and kind of answer those two questions. And it is amazing how you can mirror so much of what your parents did. 
almost subconsciously. You're just mm-hmm. kind of treating money the way they treated it because it's all it's all you knew. Unless I've heard talk to some people, but they actually have the opposite reaction of what their parents did. So if their parents were super tight wads, the first time you get your first paycheck, like, oh, I'm just going to go enjoy. I can finally spend for the first time in my life because I never could, you know. It, so it depends on how you grew up and your personality of what you do. But you have to realize that money, it's a tool. It's a tool in your life. It's not good and it's not bad. People put morals to it and they think, oh, you know, if you have a lot of money, you're evil somehow, or yeah, whatever it is, they put these morals to money and money doesn't have morals. It's amoral. But when you put it in the hands of a person, you decide whether it's good or whether it's bad. And the more control you can have over it, the more you're doing a budget, you're saving, you have no debts and you work your way out. I mean, you, you really live within your means. The stress that lowers from that and the freedom that comes from that is unbelievable. You could make $30,000 a year or $3 million a year and still be stressed with money. So you have to realize it's not the income that matters. It's what you do with your income. That's really, really important. So, so having that relationship, yeah, that, that the emotional side of it is calm because you're in control. And then also we talked about this earlier, but talk about it. Have someone in your life that you can talk about because I promise that's going to suit you so well later in life. Yeah. And I've never heard of it being called like amoral because I think that is a a common issue with people thinking that if you have a lot of money, you're a bad person or you're a good person. And if you don't, vice versa, you know? So I think that realizing that you can do whatever you want with your money is really freeing and also empowering because I know I like how you also said in your budget that you should give even if even if it's a little bit and I feel like that's really important um just to kind of realize that you don't have to hoard this you know like you can use it to do a lot of good so I think that that's really important to note because I do think that there is a misconception where people feel very emotional with it because they think of it as a bad thing or a good thing and it's not like you said, and I've never heard anyone like talk about it in that way. So I think that that is really, really helpful. And like, also eye opening just to kind of analyze your own relationship with money too. And like kind of your background as well. I always say money too. It's a magnifying glass. It makes you more of what you already are. So if you mm-hmm. are greedy and selfish and obsessed with yourself, and you get a lot of money, that's what's gonna be magnified. And you'll probably get a reality TV show that we all get to watch from our rooms, right? Like, like that, that is what's magnified. But if you love people, if you're a giver, if you want to, you know, enjoy money yourself in a really healthy way, and you get money, that's what's going to come from it. So starting those habits now, you know, even if you're in your first or second job, when you create good habits with money like that, and the way you view it, as you go on in life, you're going to build wealth. If you don't have debt, and you are investing, and you're saving and you're giving all these things over time, mathematically, you gain wealth, you build wealth. And so at the end of that, you still the character of you, that's what's being magnified. And that's really important in this as well. Yeah. And I mean, even with a lot of people that are kind of out of college, and whether like, depending on their relationship with money, we also I feel like and I'm speaking for myself, compare ourselves to people in other stages of life. Because I know I feel like in your 20s, you have people that are married, you have people with babies, you have people that haven't left their house, you have people that have great jobs, you have people that are unemployed, you have people all over the spectrum. And so it's really easy to compare yourself to like someone that's doing something really great or someone that, oh, they just, you know, like got this really amazing job, or they just bought this one thing, or they paid off their debt. So how do you prevent yourself from still kind of sticking to like your budget, your saving goals, and not comparing yourself to these other people that might be, you know, like your 
I mean, you might think that they're doing better, but you know, like might be doing on a different life path than you. Well, this is hard. Honestly, the season that you're talking about, the post-grad season, it is the hardest. Because just like you said, Mm -hmm. you've been mirroring and walking with people that are the same season of life, same stage of life for your entire life. And then when you graduate college, all of a sudden, everyone's all over the map. Like that's such a good point because it's true. It's the first time you're navigating this. And so what you have to do, I mean, you really have to put the blinders on and there's a level of contentment that has to come. So contentment, I kind of see in three stages. One, it starts with gratitude, being grateful, being grateful for where you are. Even if you had to move back home because of 2020 and you lost your job, whatever it is, like finding gratitude, no matter where you are, that gratitude is so, so key. And then when you are grateful, you move into humility. And I love Rick Warren's quote on humility. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And so when you're grateful for your life, you can look up, you can help others like we were talking about and just be, be with people. People want to be known. People want to have conversations. Like, like we're in a connected world but we are so disconnected from people, right? So being in relationship is so, so key. And that humility comes with that. And then contentment comes after that. And so that that journey is really, really important. I have a contentment journal and it's 90 days that walks you through all of this because this is such an important thing to get. So for you, for anyone practicing that contentment, that really helps you stop the comparisons because in a heart that is content and grateful, there is no room for these comparisons and discontentment. So that's a really important step. And then also just to bring in the tactical side of it. I mean, you can just look at not to bash anyone that is doing great or has a great car or went on a great vacation or whatever they did. But you also have to remember, not everything is as it seems. Yeah. Statistically speaking, 78% of people are living paycheck to paycheck. So you have no clue if that new purse she just bought is on a credit card. She can't pay. She may not be able to pay for that, but she got it through the avenue of debt. Like you don't know anyone's circumstances, or maybe she did save up for two years to buy that person, good for her, but it doesn't matter, right? Like, like that is not your business or your need to know, but having the facts on your side helps push down the emotion a little bit to say, okay, not everything is as it seems. Mm -hmm. I love that, especially in the age of social media with everyone kind of, you know, sharing their updates and all their highlight reels, which I like to say, you know, so it's really good to know that like, you have no idea what people are going through. And I always try to emphasize that, especially on this podcast. So before we go, I wanted to know if you have made any money mistakes in your life and how you overcame them. Oh, yes. (laughs) Gosh. Yeah, my mistakes come the most with spending. I mean, again, I've said it before on here, and it's true. I I am a natural spender. And so I've had to learn and even in my new book, I wrote a ton on this. And it was really convicting because you spend for multiple reasons. But for me, mine are not always healthy. Like I spend sometimes to cope, it feels good. It feels good to like, buy that shirt from J. Crew because it's 70% off. And I'm justifying that it's a great deal. But I just want to buy something, right? You do it because you're stressed or you're bored, whatever it is, but there's a coping mechanism because dopamine literally hits your brain like a drug when you buy. And so I get into that cycle. I, I've had to um, make myself ask this question before I purchase anything. If nobody sees this item, do I still want it? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> and it makes me question like, what are my motivations for buying it? All of that. So I get into the, I get into that unhealthy part of money that I have to be so careful. And I literally like turned in the manuscript of my new book right before the pandemic hit. And like three weeks in, I was on Amazon <laughs> buying stuff. And I was like, Rachel, go back and read your book that you just turned in. Like you're doing exactly what you said not to do. So yeah, it's, it's crazy. The, the relationship with money, money's so fascinating. And so having a handle on it is 
Hey, my name is Lovan Roomf, and I've been working my ass off as a celebrity stylist by day and a podcast host by night. At the Low Life Podcast, it's all about keeping it real. We're talking fashion, beauty, to religion, sex, drugs, mental health. I mean, there's no topic off limits here, and vulnerability is mandatory. You can find my podcast, The Low Life, that's L-O, no W, everywhere and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. New episodes are out every Thursday. We'll see you then.